As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Welcome to Pod on the Time, the Athletics Newcastle United podcast. Uh, my name's Taylor Payne. I'm joined by Chris Woff and George Colgan, and we've decided to do something a little different this week, chaps, haven't we? Uh, we're live, a special outside broadcast coming from Dan Ashworth's garden. And I have to say, isn't it lovely, George Colgan? It's the most pristine garden I think I've ever seen. I mean, the sun is out, the sky is blue, Dan Ashworth's off to man fucking you. Good. And, you know, what a beautiful, what a beautiful start to it. Serene and peaceful. And, it is. And lovely. Yeah, I've never seen lawns as manicured as this. Beautifully manicured. Look at those flower beds, Chris Woff. Aren't they gorgeous? It is beautiful here, but I have to be honest, I'm not as keen to be here because, you know, I never usually go to the West Midlands, so this is a very strange outing for me to, to, to be asked Dan Ashworth's. And, and usually I just send George on these trips, so... Uh, it's nice of them to bring me along for once. Very true, very true. How are we doing, chaps? Anyway, are we all right, George? Are you okay? Um, am I okay? Yeah, I'm sort of confused and muddled. And um, I mean, I don't think those feelings have changed. I can't work out Newcastle United at the moment. I think no. that's my my problem. Not the women's team. I was there yesterday as well, and that, they were great. They're they're the standard bearers for this club at the minute. But yeah. I'm so befuddled and confused by this season for the men's team. I just cannot make any sense of it. It's like if if this season was a Righteous Brothers song, which is very unlikely, <laughs> it would be Unchained Melody because yeah. I just can't make head nor tail of it. It's more like an unhinged melody, isn't it, really? <laughs> it is. Uh, Chris Woff, how are you? Are you all right? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, I mean, just to explain how <clears throat> broken George was, he was sat in the press box on Saturday and he had a bottle of... Diet Coke with a hint of lime. And I've never seen him with that before. So I said, oh. Good. I said, yes. Coke. I said, why have you got that? And he replied with, oh, I panicked in the shop and I just bought it. I said, all right, great. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is, this is is the mindset that George was arriving at the game in. And he was even more befuddled, standing around in the peeing rain afterwards, waiting to try and speak to Matt Ritchie, I'm, who rejected him. I'm so. failing. Yeah. <laughs> 
He's only one step away from driving Aberdeen in his bare feet, isn't he? Whilst eating a big Toblerone, let's be honest. Uh, right then, let's let's crack on, chaps. Lots to talk about. Yes, Dan Ashworth has informed Newcastle United that he would like to leave the club and join Sir Jim Radcliffe, Sir Dave Brailsford and Sir Eric Ten Hag. I don't think that one's right. Uh, at Carrington uh, slash Old Trafford. Uh, we've been expecting this, haven't we, Chris? Uh, there's been a lot of noises coming from Newcastle, uh, not least Eddie Howe's comments before the Bournemouth game. Yes. Now, I left Eddie Howe's press conference on Friday, so the pre-match press conference, and basically it had come to... My view at that point was that Dan Ashworth's feature at Newcastle, if it wasn't already untenable, it was close to by that stage yeah. because the situation was dragging on and Man United still hadn't made an approach. But you had the head coach of Newcastle United being put out front and centre, but being put in a very difficult position because of that. And it was quite clear from his remarks, the undertone of them, that he wanted it resolved and he thought that Dan Ashworth sort of needed to go and that basically you could tell that their relationship was probably irreparably broken by that stage. I mean, mm. it was only when you listened back or actually read some of the comments from Howe afterwards as well that, you, that, you, that there was at least a, an inkling or at least a suggestion from him of sort of uh, trying to, to underline the, the sort of impact that, Ashworth leaving simply wouldn't have on Newcastle. But basically, he, he, he spoke about how the be- best transfer window Newcastle have had post-takeover was the one before Ashworth wasn't there. He spoke about how basically... Fun- he said the biggest compliment I can pay to Dan is that he hasn't actually changed anything when it comes to recruitment, which in itself is sort of, again, slightly disingenuous because he has obviously been involved in some of those deals. And, yeah. and, and, and But there was he was also... How was asked... He, at first, he was sort of... He wasn't straight batting things, but he was basically saying... Yes, I've spoken to Dan, but you know it's not for me to say how Dan feels about what's going on. And then it was he was directly asked, "Has Dan Ashworth said this week he wants to stay at Newcastle United?" He paused for a second, then went no. And then he was also asked, "Should Dan Ashworth basically be marched off the premises, as would be the case at sort of other companies if you were leaving between this sort of size of organisation?" And his response was, "That's not for me to answer. You need to ask people higher up than me." And so that just it sort of told everything. And by that stage, yes, it became clear that it was farcical, quite frankly. That that Dan Ashworth was actually at St James's Park in the director's box on Saturday, and the negotiations, George, start now, don't they? Twenty million quid, or he's going nowhere until twenty twenty six. Yes, I mean, I think it might be sort of more towards twenty, the end of twenty twenty five, is the sort of threat. I mean, we have to remember that Newcastle have been in this position themselves the other way round when they were trying to get Ashworth out of out of Brighton. And at the start of that process, we heard lots of things about, you know, how he was going to be there for months and months and months on gardening leave and Newcastle would have to pay a huge amount of money. In the end, a compromise was worked out. At this point, I would say that, you know, there is a there is genuine anger at Newcastle about the way this is. I mean, all's fair in, in love and war, but it's been a very, very public approach. Uh, or courtship without making that official approach for Ashworth. It's been lingering on for months. And yeah, I don't think Ashworth has handled himself well in this, I have to say. I don't think he comes out of this well, only really admitting that he'd had contact as of last week and then telling that the club that he wants to leave. It's very early, really, into his task at Newcastle. And although there have been complications behind the scenes, it's not been, I don't think it's been easy kind of from either side. I don't think he comes out of this very well and totally agree with what Chris said in his previous answer. I thought Howe's comments were 
astonishing in a, in a fairly quiet sort of reflective way yeah. um, some of the things that he was he was saying and I think from that point it, it did just become a matter of time but yeah this is the start of negotiations it could drag on for a long time it could be resolved pretty quickly but at the moment Newcastle uh, a holding firm they want a lot of money for him just to pick up on the the Newcastle getting Dan Ashworth and Brighton similarity that George mentioned there, there is a similarity there but there's there is also a difference and this is what has caused irritation on the Newcastle side is that when Newcastle went after Dan Ashworth they went through the front door they conducted this big search but before they approached Ashworth they, they, Brighton were very happy with how Newcastle conducted themselves yes they held on for as much as they possibly could and wouldn't release him from garden leave but they had no issues with how Newcastle conducted themselves Man United as of 11.14am on this Monday morning the 19th of February as far as we're aware have still yet to make formal contact with Newcastle United and that is the difference here yeah and I presume there's no sort of rules and regulations around tapping up when it comes to staff, or is there? I don't know about these things. I don't think it applies the same level as, as sporting director as it does for, for, for players, so I think it's slightly different mm. on that front. I mean, what would still there's still details we are unsure of at this stage, which we're seeking clarity on in terms of we know that Ashworth informed Newcastle on Sunday that he wanted to join Manchester United. What we are unsure of as we record is, did he then himself, did he resign or was he put on guard and leave by Newcastle? We think it was the latter, but we're not entirely sure. What does that mean in terms of automatic compensation? Ashworth was asked in November if he had a release clause in his contract and he said no. Or, well, no, what he actually said was, not that I'm aware of, and he sort of chuckled, but it seems that he may actually have a compensation clause regardless of whether he serves as, as Garden leave period or not and also beyond that if he's now it, it would would Manchester United have to pay that given they haven't actually approached Newcastle yet so there's so many answers we don't the questions we don't know the answers to as of yet and I think that this could this tedious saga is probably going to drag on for a little while longer as as both sides set out their stall in these discussions there's plenty of revisionism and cynicism about this George isn't there as well especially about Dan Ashworth's performance at Newcastle as we said the other day no one really knows whether he's done a good job or not and maybe we won't for a few years yet at least no I mean I think uh, our immediate response as a fan base is to say, yeah, well, he signed Sandro Tonali, so, you know, good riddance. Um, and that's really sort of not not the point of Ashworth. Yeah. As Chris mentioned, at the start of this section, Eddie Howe talked about the most successful transfer window being the one before he arrived as sporting director, and those relationships were already in place. What Ashworth has supposed to do is to to be a club builder. Now, if I go back to the interview that I did with Amanda Staveley and Murdad Gadusi just before Ashworth was announced, Murdad talked about the sporting director being, quote, the person that drives the football operation, who creates the structure. It's like building a house. If you don't have the right, right foundations, it will fall down. That's why the sporting director role is so important. It's building a very strong academy that goes right across all the other verticals into the first team. And... That was what Ashworth was supposed to do. He calls himself famously the centre of the wheel. It's about getting those spokes. Maybe it should be a wheelbarrow now. I don't know. Spokes of a, of a, of a wheelbarrow. <laughs> do wheelbarrows uh, have spokes? I don't know. No, probably not. No. Um, and it's about getting all the different sections of the club. It's about appointing the right people, empowering those people to do their to get top professionals to do their jobs at the best of their ability. That was his role, really. And he started to do that. And I think, you know, certainly at the academy, we know there's been a huge turnover of staff, new people coming in. That building is now sort of full to capacity. We know there's been huge uplift in terms of the women's team. We know that in terms of recruitment, people are coming in in terms of staff and analysis and things like that. So he's done that. The disappointment is that he's gone 
when clearly that job is nowhere near finished. It's really barely started in terms of where Newcastle want to go. But it's not really as simple as pointing to the signings that haven't worked out for Newcastle yet and saying it's his fault because that's really not what his role was. Does it feel like he's bailed on us a little bit, Chris? I mean, Newcastle fans are really good at this thing where as soon as anybody suggests that they don't want to be part of Newcastle United Football Club anymore, we go, ah, well, in which case you can fuck off and I'll never like you anyway. <laughs> We're really good at that. I, I, I entirely understand that. I mean, I don't, I don't think that, that, that we never liked you anyway. I think the revisionism <laughs> that you speak of just simply isn't true. Newcastle set out their stall to find the very best sporting director they could. They went on an exhaustive search and Dan Ashworth was the person who they brought in for that. Now, there's been some... I suppose noises over the course of the last six to, to eight months, maybe that that you know Ashworth's good, but maybe he isn't as as special as Newcastle necessarily originally thought. But there was no Newcastle weren't looking to move Dan Ashworth on of their own accord. This is not something that that, that they were looking to dispense of Dan Ashworth. He has made the decision to leave, and I thought that another pointed remark that that Eddie Howe made on Friday was he he said that Dan Ashworth's role is all about longevity. And basically what George has just been saying there is that if, if you want to see the success of a sporting director or not, it's that they're there for a long period of time. Now, his last two roles, he will have left prematurely. And he will argue that's because he's he's had what he said about the company castle will apply to Manchester United, that sometimes things come along in life and you don't feel you can say no to them. And he is obviously feels that if he can be the man to potentially restore Manchester United to their former, former glories as the sporting director from inside, that's something that very much appeals to him. But I think that the the sort of rivalry, at least from the Newcastle United side towards the Manchester United side, that probably prompts further this frustration with Dan Ashworth going there and that feeling that maybe he has bailed on Newcastle. I think there has been, you know, difficulty if I'm trying to play devil's advocate or look at it a bit more from Ashworth's perspective. I mean, I've I've talked about this before at, at very boring length about how Newcastle have sort of been built backwards and just because of how the takeover happened it happened so suddenly in the end that people weren't in place to take over and positions of authority they appointed a head coach first then a sporting director then a CEO and really in a perfect world you'd be doing it the opposite way around because it's you know the CEO CEO makes those appointments the sporting director is the person that sets the tone in terms of what the football department looks like, what the big idea is, what they're trying to do, how they're trying to play. And then they appoint a head coach who can come in and sort of fulfil that. And they've done it the other way around. And so when Eddie Howe talks about that first transfer window, relationships at the club were already established and they were very, very close. So he worked incredibly closely with Amanda Staveley, with Murdad Gadusi, had a great relationship. Same with senior players. Those things were kind of already there by the time Ashworth came in. And that's not a criticism because it's worked really well for Newcastle. And, you know, it's been the driving force of Amanda Staveley who's pushed the club. But I think that has made life a bit sort of difficult for everybody in the sense of having to get used to new people coming in, trying to work their way. And yeah, I mean, I I think we have to accept it's a blow. He was their first choice after that exhaustive process. The good news is that they've gone through that once. And so perhaps it won't have to be quite so exhaustive the second time around. And hopefully whoever comes in will sort of benefit from what Ashworth's already already achieved. But it's too soon. He shouldn't be leaving. And in the past, Manchester United has always been a big draw. We know that. But, you know, the big idea at Newcastle is that they're building to try and get to that same level. So it feels disappointing to me that he's jumped at the first opportunity. George, there was a rumour last time around that you came a narrow second to Ashworth for the rule. Is that, is, is that something you can confirm or deny? Or mm-hmm. I mean, very much the spoke of 
of of the wheel, the the center of the of the of the um, of the wheelbarrow. Yeah, is how I've always presented <laughs> myself at presentations I've given to major football clubs about my prospective role as director of football. You know, my my football. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to discuss my footballing philosophy, which really is basically just fucking four, have four, a two. go. Four four two. Absolutely. Fucking come on. Well, yeah. chaps, I've really enjoyed sitting yeah. out here in the garden for this first part it's of the beautiful, show. Beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, getting a nice little tan. The man himself might be along at any minute to tend these beds, so shall we take the rest of the podcast indoors and we'll talk about some actual football? Go on, then. Do you think he'll serve us tea? <clears throat> Absolutely not. I think he'll tell us to get off his land. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll be back in just a minute after this little break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Adi Orchid. Uh, so, 3 o'clock in James's Park on Saturday in Newcastle United 2. Bournemouth 2, uh, a mad game, another mad game at St James's Park. Uh, and again, it all started uh, with Eddie Howe with the fun and games before the match. Chris, Jacob Murphy named in the squad. Everyone thought he wasn't going to be, and then there he is. But we, should, we shouldn't expect this anymore, should we? Well, you see, actually, the journalists in the room thought the opposite because Eddie Howe gave us a mild admonishment of us all <laughs> because he was asked about Jacob Murphy. He stopped, paused, looked around the room, and he said, listen to me very carefully. I've... <laughs> Jacob Murphy has not trained yet. Oh, that old chestnut. Yeah, eh? he still seems to have forgotten what he'd actually said the week before, which was that it was unclear when Anthony Gordon was going to play. But regardless, it was it, it seemed that Murphy was likely to be in the matchday squad, and he, and he was on the bench, but there was no Alexander Isak, no Joe Willock back uh, still. That hopefully will, will be next week for both of those. But instead, Newcastle had Anthony Gordon through the middle once more. Harvey Barnes made his first start since September the 24th. Um, and then it was the, the the rest. That was the only change was Harvey Barnes coming in for Callum Wilson from the side who won uh, at Nottingham Forest. Another afternoon of free form jazz football, George. It's just what you like to see, isn't it? It's just nonsense. Yeah, it is nonsense. And I, I said said this at the start. This unchained melody sort of thing. Jacob has made the point that Newcastle have taken just one more point in games against the bottom six than they have from the top six. I feel like in previous seasons, like last season. If you thought about Newcastle, which obviously we did a lot, we think about the shithousing, we think about the pressing, we think about the hard running, we think about them swarming all over teams. And if I try and sort of explain what this season is about, if only for the benefit of my own brain, I can't think of anything. I mean, apart from the injuries, you just don't know what to expect. And they are this chaotic sort of team. I spoke to a a friend of mine, bumped into a friend of mine, Max and his son Arthur, who'd been to the match after the game, they'd had a pint in the Trent House, lucky them, and they talked about it being really sort of entertaining, and for me it just felt incredibly stressful. You know, I'm not saying that I'm right and they're wrong, you know, absolutely 
maybe other people kind of find it entertaining, but I it just feels sort of so chaotic. I can't make sense of it, which is kind of my job. So I apologise to all and sundry. Uh, Iraioli wasn't happy with the VAR call, was he, Chris? And you can kind of see his point, but the, the, the rule is a little bit muddled, isn't it? It is. I mean, this was the second time that a Spanish opposition manager had been in the St. James's Park press room after a game. And what the hell was that? That was my dog being a dickhead. <laughs> was that the mention of a Spanish manager being in the the, 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 the reference to Miguel Arteta earlier this season? Whereas un, unlike Miguel Arteta, who completely lost control, was very much looking to deflect and could not actually explain why he had an issue with the reason why Newcastle had been awarded a goal, which VAR yeah. three times tried to disallow. Areola was, was far more coherent, and even if seemingly by the letter of the law he was wrong, he made his argument as to why he thought that the, the penalty should not have been awarded. I'm not smart enough to understand their explanations. I think uh, if only we are talking about the foul, it's a very soft, soft foul for a set piece because in set pieces in corners they grab, everyone grabs, goes to the floor, they are not calling anything in all the season, but if they call the foul, we have to accept it. We will complain, but we have to accept it. But someone in the offside position, he was offside position, the ball goes exactly where he is, my player grabs, the, the, the shirt, because otherwise he's going to head the ball, obviously affects the play. And spend 10 minutes, five, six referees watching the play. Also, the VAR doesn't show the referee the white camera so he can take the decision of the offside position. For me, it's very difficult to accept. Very, very, very difficult to accept. Because I think we, we deserve, we deserve a, a little bit of respect. I know we are... We are a Bournemouth, we are a small club, but we, we deserve much more respect than this. What was it that Bill Shankly said? Football is a simple game ruined by idiots. Was it was it something <laughs> like that? Spoiled by idiots. I just I, I didn't understand what was happening on Saturday. I mean, with any of this, I've already said I've already admitted that. I definitely didn't understand what was going on with that VR check. I still don't really understand. But I do know that it. How long? I mean, it didn't take ten it's minutes. Like five, nearly five minutes. There. I think four and a bit minutes. But it shouldn't take. It shouldn't take five minutes to decide anything that happens on a football pitch. That is just. It is just ridiculous. It's an absolute joy vampire. I know that Newcastle got the benefit of that decision, but just to sit there not having a clue what's happening, and then it's. If it's so complicated to work out, then it shouldn't be given. That's not the point. I mean, that is not the point of VAR, in my opinion. Anyway, I went to the women's game the next day and saw a game that didn't have VAR attached to it, that had its own drama, had its own moments of drama, built up and momentum switched towards the end and it was tense and all that. It doesn't need this no. confected thing taking so long to to make a decision. It's just it's just pointless. I'm not sure how, even when he went to look at the monitor, he still took another two minutes after that, Chris. It was mad. It was like, well, I, I, it, my- it, you want the VAR to be able to say, this is what we see. Just go and have a look and confirm. My reading of that situation, and I don't know if I'm correct, only the referee can say that, was I don't think the referee wanted to give it. I think that the referee was like looking at it as if to say, well, I didn't really think it was a penalty initially. And and he because he, he, as you say, the amount of time he looked at it, then when he turned around, he almost paused before he gave it as well. He so did, yeah. That was my view on things. I think the law is an ass in this case. I, I agree with Iriola that... that, that the, the foul is made because Cher looks like he's going to go towards to head the ball, but the reason why it isn't considered a foul is because the offside offence has not taken place yet, and so the foul 
trumps that in the end. I also slightly, and this is going to be very controversial, and everyone listening is probably going to scream at me. Yeah, I also yeah, we'll don't. I also we'll think it. I do think it's soft. I think if the referee gives it on the field, fine. But I think to to then pull it back for for that reason. I know he does have a handful of shares shirt, and I know he keeps a hold of it. But then share goes down basically to show that he's got the. I I personally thought it was relatively soft. Newcastle got the benefit of it, but I agree with George. The whole process was absolutely ridiculous, and should just it just that has to be sorted. Yeah, so the penalty was uh, was a big debate around that. There's also the big Dan Byrne debate, part nine or ten, George, I think we're up to now, aren't we? Yeah, probably more than that. I don't think that's kind of going to change. It feels like he's become the sort of weather vane for the team's inconsistency. I don't think that's fair, albeit I kind of understand it. He was obviously exposed for Bournemouth's second goal, but, you know, having watched that kind of repeatedly, I'm not sure how much he was to blame. Yeah, I agree with that. There is a system failure mm-hmm. at Newcastle in terms of the way they're defending and I don't just mean the back four back five I mean in the midfield as well and I think Dubravka who we'll, who we'll talk about could have done more for the second goal it's just it's become one of those things I don't think Dan would ever say that he wanted a rest or needed a rest or you know wanted to come out of the team he's picked by Eddie Howe for a reason. It's not favouritism. I keep saying, you know, he only picks his favourites. I mean, he picks people who he thinks are going to win the game. I mean, that's why he picks the team that he does. But yeah, I don't... I've seen some kind of really, really harsh harsh things said about him. He's not a left-back. He's he's made the position he's owned since he's been at the club. That's not why he was signed. And he's doing his best. And he's come back early after breaking bones in his back. I mean, that's exactly the kind of attitude you want from a Newcastle player. And he was good enough to be in a team that had the joint best defensive record in the in the division last season that finished fourth that got to a cup final. I don't like the fact that he's become this sort of weather vane. I, I very much agree on the goal. I actually, at the time, I thought that he'd done okay. And, and yet, when I went in the press room afterwards, a lot of my colleagues were like, oh no, he kept backing off, he kept backing off. And yeah. the more I say it, he does back off. But actually, I think to an extent, he does the right thing. He's he's so exposed. He manages to get Semenyo to actually go further wide before he shoots. And it's a very it's a very good shot, which he takes quite early on. Yeah. And more of an issue I had was that you can see Bournemouth were trying to target that left-hand side in the first five minutes. They put about three balls down that side to try and expose him and Botman, who is struggling to turn at the moment and cover Forburn. They're getting targeted there. And that that's part Part of the issue is, and I asked Iriola about it after the game, On did they target that side? And he sort of was diplomatic, but in a roundabout way said, yes, we did, because Trippier bombs up the other side, so you've got space there. And that's that's part of the problem Newcastle have at the moment is, I thought Byrne actually largely played all right, relatively, yeah. given that they were targeting that area. Yeah, I thought so. But I do, I do think it's time to take him out of the team or shift him to left side centre-back and bring in a, in a left wing-back, be that, as you would have thought, Tino Livermento or Lewis Hall or whoever it may be, because I just think... Sides are now every week actively targeting that area, and that's where he's getting more and more exposed because Newcastle's structural deficiencies are leaving him exposed. He he can't. He isn't suddenly going to become quicker. He isn't. He isn't as quick as some of these opposition wingers who are attacking him, and that's part of the problem there. And that's what that was the issue I had on Saturday was that it was quite clear early on. Bournemouth, as Forrest did and as other teams are doing, are now looking at that side and actively trying to expose it. I worry about it psychologically as well with him because he's maybe he's thinking, I, I don't want to get beat again here. I don't want to commit too early. I'm going to get skipped past. I'm, the player's going to beat me. So he is backing off a little bit more. But he did the right thing. Semenyo's quick and he had him he, he had him shaped up one-on-one. One one. There's no help from anybody else. Um, I felt sorry for him on Saturday. I really did. I thought um, the system... 
isn't working with him in that kind of role at the minute, and I and I worry. You know, I worry about the amount of grief he's getting. Yeah, the system isn't working full stop. I mean, that's that's the kind of bigger picture. And yes, he's become the sort of debating point of it. But, you know, if we're talking about Martin Dubravka, it's the next point that we're going to just kind of discuss on our list. You know, make those two great saves from Solanke. Yeah. He then slips and lets a goal in. That's not his fault. He is rooted to his line for the second. And since he came into the team... No goalkeeper in the Premier League has conceded more goals than Dubravka. It's something like, wrote about this at the weekend, with Pope in goal since the start of last season, Newcastle let in a goal every 131 minutes. With Dubravka, it's every 43. I mean, that's astonishing, isn't it? They've conceded 12 goals in four home games. I think one of the great strengths of Newcastle last season was that there were moments in games, I've talked about this so much, you know, that game at Arsenal that ended up nil-nil, where Saka gets past Dan Byrne in the f- first few minutes, and you think, "Oh shit, this is going to be this is going to be bad." They found a way of dealing with that, and by the end of the game, you were sort of thinking, "Oh well, what was I worried about? I was worried for nothing that Saka had been contained." They're not managing to contain those threats anymore. Chris is totally right; they are targeting that side. Botman isn't isn't as fluent as he has been since he's come back from his injury. I think he's struggling quite badly. And all the old certainties of the team have kind of gone. Now, it starts with Pope at the back, who can be relied upon to come out. You saw Dan Byrne immediately turn to Dubravka and hold his hands up for that second goal because he was expecting, I think because he was expecting Dubravka to do better or to be further out. And then the certainties in front of the defence are gone as well. And, you know, that includes... That includes Joe Linton and uh, and obviously Joe Willock, who's missed as well. So, you know, we know the bigger picture for it. It's it's because players are missing out through injury, but they just haven't found a way to compensate for it. And when I talk about not being able to kind of make sense of the season, it's like it's brilliant that they were able to kind of get back twice against Bournemouth. It was brilliant that they were able to come back against Luton. But... We're talking about Bournemouth and Luton, and it's not a you know hanging on is not a sustainable philosophy in terms of playing football, and it's it is Arsenal next, and that does fill me with with concern. Yeah, I mean, I'm conscious around the big sort of Dan Byrne debate that also with Martin Dubravka that I don't want to seem to be regularly digging him out. I have mentioned him quite a lot over the course of the last few weeks, and I thought those two saves in the first half were very very good, important saves because Newcastle didn't really have, except the Gordon header wide in the first five minutes, didn't really have an opportunity in that first half, and and Solanke should have scored, and certainly the second one was a was a very, sorry the first one was a very good save, the second one maybe just sort of hits him to a certain degree, but he gets his body in the right place for the first goal. He, he concedes with the slip that was unfortunate. More of an issue I had was that. You could see the issues Newcastle had on the ball throughout all of Saturday. That led to that chance for Solanke to put in because Newcastle were two-thirds of the way up inside their own half and passed it back to their own goalkeeper because Bournemouth's press was 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 causing them so many problems that they couldn't play through. And then Dubravka has the unfortunate slip and Solanke kicks it, 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 manages to kick it in. The, 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 the second goal, I, I agree. I think the, the, the thing with Dubravka is that Whereas Pope, you're very certain he's going to try and be proactive. Dubravka, I think, because he's caught between two stools, because that's not his natural game, I think at the moment it's almost that sort of... The other players are maybe unsure what he's going to do, and so at some point you think he might come, as he did at Nottingham Forest for their first goal. At some point he won't come, because that's not his natural game. You don't expect him to. Now, the, the, the second goal was actually the same issues Newcastle have had. A swift break from the opposition. Basically bypasses the entire midfield. Solanke comes deep. Botman is pulled entirely out of position. So then you've got Dan Byrne isolated against Semenyo, who 
as I said, I thought he did all right in terms of what he tried to do, but Semenya always had the beating of him, was forced wide, takes the shot early. Dubravka, should he get down lower? I'm not entirely sure on the actual save point. I think it's more, does he? should he narrow the angle? Should further off his line, yeah. Yeah, poss- possibly. And that's it's just that the, the, you have stylistically different players at the moment. It's not all quite fitting together, and I think that's, again, why Dubravka himself is also being exposed. But if it wasn't for Dubravka, Newcastle would have been 2-0 down at half-time, and I don't see them come back from that, because as much as being made that Newcastle have come, fought back and got points in the last two home games and that is great they still haven't fought back to win a game this season they don't actually win matches from losing positions they're getting back and getting a point but they still haven't won a game from a losing position it's mad that this is still the same season that PSG <laughs> happened isn't it I mean it's that's nonsense that's, that's another thing it's like how do you it's like not that I can remember longer ago than five minutes but you know is is absolutely the best thing I've ever witnessed at St James's I'm sure it I'm sure it was and it's like we've got Aston Villa, we've got Man United at Old Trafford, Arsenal at home, which was hilarious, Chelsea at home, Sheffield United away, Sunderland away. There's like just been these catalogue of incredible moments. And yet it's everything also feels like such a struggle. Yeah. I mean it's like it's 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 both of those things, isn't it? It's mad. There's no it's consistency, mad. is there? But when we could still win the FA Cup. Yeah, possibly. You never know. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's let's think positive, George. If we're going along those lines, uh, wonderful to see Matt Ritchie get that goal, wasn't it? And uh, by his standards, that was a dignified and restrained celebration against his old club. Um, well, in the sense that it didn't rupture a supporter's testicles immediately afterwards. But I mean, he still managed. I mean, I don't think that was really his doing. I mean, he did try to whack the corner flag into Rose Ed. What is it about corner he flags? Hates them, didn't he? Hates them. He just fucking detests corner flags. corner flags. Yeah, it's like what have they ever done to? I mean, he must have had some like horrible incident with the corner flag as a child because and the corner flag said something about his mother, perhaps. I don't know. Um, but it's like he certainly. Yeah, I just. That man who's born born angry and is still raging, even though he's now thirty four. If I can sort of start with a negative about this positive, it's that Matt Ritchie shouldn't be playing, no. shouldn't be coming on. You know, he wasn't included in the Champions League squad. He's been kind of kept around for two reasons. I mean, firstly, because Newcastle haven't been able to do everything all at once in terms of rebuilding their squad because of. FFP and that side of things and because of his attitude and because of the fact that he sets a tone and is seen as very valuable because of that but yeah I mean I think we all thought the days of Matt Ritchie um, inflicting massive damage on infrastructure around (laughs) St James's Park was dead it was a great little throwback I mean I wrote about that I mean I sort of wrote about that idea of you know Newcastle sort of wading through treacle in home games and Matt Ritchie whacking a corner flag it felt very much like the bad old days in that in that sense yeah. and you know that was a Newcastle that only lived for moments I mean you know you go back to that to the previous corner flag incident where that man's nuts were were damaged in the process hopefully not long term 
long-term damage. That was after a very late winner, Isaac Hayden, scored against Chelsea, and it was That's like right, yeah. just incredible. But you knew that the club was going nowhere. It was the season of Bruce coming in for Benitez and 10,000 season tickets being given away, part yeah. season tickets being given away, and those moments were all we had. It was like, yeah, that was brilliant in that moment, and then you would take a step back and think, well, that's absolutely pointless, really, isn't it? I mean, the club's never going to get better. It's never going to go anywhere. And now we've got the opposite thing. We know that the club is going somewhere and is going to get better. But still, this season has has been one of those moments. And um, yeah, I think the Matt Ritchie moment, I think we thought we'd we'd probably wave goodbye to. But it was um, it was obviously very important. And a great moment for him. He has stuck around. It's not been easy for him. He's not started a game for, for years. But um, he does set a tone. All, all that was missing was him smacking Matty Longstaff on the back of the head after Longstaff scored. Kicking I mean, somebody up miss, the arse. <laughs> Kicking somebody up the arse for doing something good. I like the idea that he's only still here because someone's too scared to ask him to leave, basically. That's, that's essentially <laughs> why he's still around. It was his first goal since July 2020, one of the lockdown games against Spurs, which, which says a lot. But I mean, when George mentions he shouldn't really be coming on the pitch, I have to be honest, when you looked at the team sheet before the match, the substitutes bench looked very, very weak. It I did. mean, Jacob Murphy Again, was the only real yeah. out-and-out attacker yeah. other than the Matt Ritchie. Yeah. And they bring on Joe White, Joe White who, who I thought pitch, did reasonably yeah. well, yeah, but for his Premier League debut. But he was playing for Crew Alexandra on loan in League Two earlier this season. So that shows where there's the mitigation that comes in again for Newcastle with the injury situation is that they still have... So many players out. Hopefully, Joe Willock is back in the not too distant future. Alexander Isak hopefully will be in the squad for Arsenal. Then the week after, or two weeks after, maybe Elliot Anderson, not that far behind Matt Target. Players are hopefully starting to come back, but obviously, Fabian Cher now was injured. His wrist, hopefully not seriously, but he went off second week in a row and Newcastle had a player leaving the pitch using their, their shirt as a sling. So it just seems to never end in that regard. I was waiting around afterwards to speak to players and Fabian walked past and his wrist was bandaged up and I asked how he how it was and he kind of he wiggled his hand and said all right which mm, okay. um, by Newcastle standards probably means he's out for 3 years with a with a broken head. <laughs> Uh, Lewis Miley, Chris, let's just mention him quickly before we move on. Great on the ball again, plenty of room to grow. Uh, He looks completely at home, doesn't he? He does. I mean, he was again in the sort of number six position, although the midfield kept moving around, much yeah. to George's annoyance that I kept repeating to him that the players were moving. <laughs> you said it to me at the start of the second half. You said, so you're doing it all the way through. Oh, look, Bruno's playing high up the pitch. Oh, look, Miley is doing the holding thing. Okay, they've switched, they've switched. Oh, there's Sean doing that. And he was doing it again. It's like I kept saying to him, Chris, Chris, just let me, please, just let me. And then he did it again in the 51st minute. Look, Bruno's playing further up. Oh, cheers, Chris. I've just missed the goal. (laughs) He did actually as well. He did actually miss the goal for that reason. Yeah, because I was looking at midfield. He actually said to me, I know you're not interested, but they've switched things in midfield again. So I looked at midfield and then I I missed the goal. I know you're not interested, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Yeah, but, uh, but but in that deep line, I mean, I thought Lewis Miley played very, very well. He, he right made too. a heck of a lot of challenges, he which did. has been something that people have said, can he add that to his game? But he, he won the ball back a lot. He used it well, a few very nice passes through. I'll be honest, I didn't think the rest of the midfield worked ideally well. Longstaff played one really good ball, but I didn't think it was his best game ever. I think he's still scratching around for form. And I know Bruno Gimraj plays the ball for, for that eventually leads to, to Richie's equaliser, but I didn't think Bruno was in the game often enough. I think that when he's further up, that doesn't benefit him as much. And also, I mean, he, he didn't actually make a tackle, and there's, there's a reason why that is, is because if he tries to make tackles yeah, at the moment, exactly. yeah, he's on nine yellow cards. So I think that, that there's two reasons why he probably isn't as active as Newcastle need 
him to be in the match. But in terms of Lewis Miley, you know, I thought you can see why long term some people in the England setup think that number six could be his position because he just seems to have a bit of everything to be able to play. To, there. to, to mention Bruno again as well, did you see he did the most Bruno Gimaraes thing in the world in like the 92nd minute? The ball drops on the edge of the box and he chooses to nutmeg someone on the edge of his own box in the 92nd minute when the score's 2-2. And then a few minutes later, he was on he was on his own... Uh, on the goal, yeah, line, goal yeah, line, wasn't he? he was still, yeah, yeah. Trying to dribble his way out again. I love the bloke a bit, but my God, he's not good for my heart, that lad, honestly. Right, the chaps, let's move on. We've got a, a listener email to do here. We wanted to read this out because it's interesting. Uh, good day. Can you guess where this man's from? Uh, regular listener here from Melbourne, Australia. I thought this stat might interest some of you for Monday's show. Richie's late level out against Bournemouth was the first goal we've scored all season in all competitions after the 75th minute that has changed the result of a match. One point gained from a losing position. We've currently played 36 matches in all competitions this season. On the flip side, we've conceded eight goals after the 75th minute, all competitions that have directly changed the result. Our overall points differential from these goals in the league is at minus six on top of our exit from three cup competitions. In comparison, Man United and the Premier League alone have scored 11 goals, conceded four, in that period of the game, which have directly changed results. They have a points differential of plus 12 for this time. Basically, Man United in the league alone have gained 18 points on us purely from their play compared to ours in the last 15 minutes of matches. That's a huge discrepancy to have between us and a rival for a European place. Uh, kind regards, Rob Burney. Uh, Chris, this is the kind of nerdy stuff that you love, isn't it? It is, and it sounds like Rob's trying to put me out of a job because that's some very, very good research there. And there's two things I'd immediately pick up on that. One is when, say, a final 15 minutes of games, there's also the, the extra injury time or added time as there's been this season. So that really affects Newcastle. And I think, two is part of the, the reason for this is all of the injuries and the fatigue which is built up and that's part of the reason why Newcastle are struggling to change games later on. They actually managed to do it at the weekend when they brought Matt Ritchie on and that made a difference but they haven't got the strength of the bench that they had very early in the season to be able to do that and so no very very, very good points from Rob and I think it just actually puts in it shows the data backs up that theory that we had that late in matches over the course of the last three months Newcastle have really suffered because of that. Right then, thanks for that, uh, Rob. Uh, let's say cheerio to Chris. Chris, you've got to duck off. Uh, one thing to bring up just before you leave, I'm not letting you get away uh, without mentioning this. You and George were at the True Faith uh, live show last week, sitting next to each other in what looked like the front row. Saw the photo of it on Twitter. The pair of you wearing brown leather pundit shoes with white sole. Um, where is your sole? That's what I want to know. I'm still searching for it. Um, yes, I mean, I, I do. George does just want to copy me and be me. I mean, I think that's just the, the reality of the situation here. It was hilarious, though, actually. when I, The first thing anyone said to me when I walked into the, the foyer before the show Friday was someone just shouted across, have you got your jerry can with you, Chris? <laughs> um, so there was a lot of, yeah, there was a lot of people rather. And another guy came up to me and said that he, he, was, he was cycling to work when he was listening to that podcast and he was stopped at traffic lights and he just laughed out loud and that people started looking at him from inside the cars to see why he was laughing out loud at, at George's uh, unfortunate situation, the fact that I am, and he will. O- I am his saviour, and that he will always owe me one for that. The issue, George, here with this photo though appearing is that one of you is going to have to throw those shoes away. <laughs> who, who between the two of you deserves to keep the brown shoes? I thought pundit shoes were black with white soles, or, or a, a colour with a white sole. I mean, those are all of my shoes, so I'm not going to. Th- I mean, it's a source of some shame that I'm being kind of linked with Chris in any way, shape, or form in terms of sartorial elegance. But I'll have to live with that. 
True Faith, they did a brilliant job on Friday night. It was, um, I mean, it was a bit cheeky of them to come to our patch, really, the uh, Gosford Civic Theatre. Turning up on our manor, George. Yeah, but um, but they're great people. And um, yeah, it was a fantastic show. And it was great to, great to see so much passion and hear so much passion in the room. Lovely stuff. Right, Chris, thank you very much. See you in a bit. You're very welcome. Toodaloo, everyone. Have a great week. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. There is no way I'm hanging my boots up without playing for Newcastle. Right then, George, me and thee for the rest of this episode. Let's talk about the lasses. Becky Langley's lasses, another victory against Derby County. Superb result, overcame a nervy tight finish. Um, With Forrest dropping points at Liverpool Feds, they're really in the driving seat now, aren't they? Yeah, I was there for that, and I watched it behind both goals, which I really enjoyed. That was a Mm. nice thing to do, standing up in the sunshine. It was yeah. It was a for eighty minutes. You could not have sort of uh, wished for more control for a team to have more control. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. the opposite of the lads the day before, <laughs> where there was like no control, no sort of theme. They were just so strong. And then um, yeah, they gave away a penalty towards the end, and then suddenly it was um, a very nervy finish, but uh, fully deserved three points. And they're so, in such a position of strength now in that league yeah. table. I mean, it's been. So close up to that point, but I think they've got seven seven league games left. They're nine points clear of Forest now. Forest to have uh, a game in hand. Uh, Burnley have three games in hand, but it's it's absolutely looking great. It, you could tell when the final whistle went how big a win that was. Everybody it meant a lot. Didn't yeah, it? I mean it was just a it was a brilliant result. They've got Paige Bailey Gale is. Absolutely full of goals since she signed, but there's just confidence all over the over the pitch. There were a couple of big players missing, including Amber Keegan Stubbs. I think they missed her leadership towards the end of the match, but they've um, they've just got such a strong squad now that um, they can just roll roll with it. They're they're such a good team, and they're just a they're just a joy to watch. Things are looking really good for them, and that's a great follow up to that Burnley victory as well. And things are back on track, aren't they? After that sort of mini wobble that they had a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, mini wobble, which is basically just losing one game, and that counts <laughs> yeah. as a mini wobble for this team. I mean, they also lost to to Man United in the FA Cup, but um, yeah, I mean, just if there was any any sense of nervousness, um, it's been banished again now. And you do have to put it into context. I mean, this is a team, this is a team that was promoted last season. This is their first season at this level, and to be where they are in the division is has just been an astonishing achievement by Becky and the girls. Fingers crossed they stay there. Don't see any reason to think that they won't. You've been with them quite a lot as well, haven't you, George? And we've been waiting for this uh, <laughs> for this audio and for these interviews to come through. What's happening with that? Yes, I apologise about that. Yeah, no, I've um, I've been very lucky. I've been sort of compiling a, a big piece, which is really sort of behind the scenes with the women's team, um, speaking to people at all all levels of the club about about what's going on, why, what the big idea is. Um, and to try and tell some of those really sort of fantastic stories. I mean, it's, you know, you know that when a sort of player signs for the men's team, you kind of automatically know everything about him because it's so high profile. Whereas with this, I think I think we're still getting to know 
um, some of the women, some of the girls. And there's just so many great stories from people who've been with the club since, um, you know, since they were in the fourth tier, since they were under the foundation's wing, when they were having to pay to play. I mean, get your head around that. Having to pay to play for Newcastle United. I mean, it's... Having to pay for their kits. Having to pay for their kits. I Pitch mean, fees, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, even last season when Becky had gone full-time, she was still doing everything. And they were training twice a week. They were training at 10 o'clock at night. She would get home at 11. She would wash the kits. She would collect all the balls and put them in a car. And... You know, at that level, it's really a story of sort of great dedication. And it's brilliant that they're now in this situation where they're full time. So, yes, I've done this big piece. It includes speaking to Becky, includes speaking to Sue Cumming, who's the head of women's football, includes speaking to Amanda Staverley and hopefully telling telling some players stories and, uh, you know, the, the journey they've been on to get to where they are and what the big idea is about the women's team. I mean, one of the lovely things is how much it's been. Yeah embraced by 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 fans i mean i love going it feels you know they're my team they're my club just as much as the men's are and um yeah so I, i've i've wanted for a long time to be able to try and tell those stories so um that'll be appearing i promise at some point this week and as becky will explain in uh, in this clip there's a fair bit at stake for the team uh, and especially the management in the league uh, this year but and this is her speaking shortly after the defeats uh, at Manchester United and at home against Forest. Uh, they've already come a very, very long way in a short space of time, yeah. and they got the green light to go professionally. Ironically, uh, via a text message from Dan Ashworth. Have a listen to this. I can't remember the exact wording, but yeah, I think um, obviously we're anticipating that we'd all been pushing behind the scenes to try and you know make the best case for the club to go full time. So we knew there was a board meeting with PIF. And obviously I knew Dan and others were involved in that. So that meeting started very early in the day and I think it was probably six hours into the meeting and it, yeah, it was obviously the women's team was one of the things on the agenda. So I was eager to um, to find out. And obviously when it gets to nearly 11 o'clock at night, you're thinking, oh, maybe it's not good news because you might have told me by then. But no, Dan had text saying it's really good news and keep it to myself for now. But we'll, um, we'll catch up and yeah, happy days. And? That the women's team are going to go full no, time. No, and your response was? Um, my response was just absolutely buzzing. You burst into tears. I did, yeah. My friends were actually round. I just had a barbecue. So right. obviously one of my best friends was round and shared that moment and burst into tears because I knew how much that would mean for women's football. And now we're here. So why was it so... Imp- I mean, why does it mean so much for women's football? It means so much because everybody's lives have significantly changed. Yeah. So um, the players are now full-time, which means they're not doing their, their previous employment. Um, so, for example, players who were teachers are no longer teachers, and some of them have come on a, a career break to be a part of the women's team for a year and see if they get their contract extended. Um, for others, you know, players who are unemployed, it's life-changing. Um, for students who are graduating, looking to think about what next and balancing part-time football with that, it's meant they can dive straight into to full-time football. But for the rest of the staff I work with as well, they're obviously in more so, there's more financial support for them now. And I think massively it's, you know, we're not training at 10 o'clock at night anymore. Yeah. We are training in the daytime, we're feeding the players, they're able to be in the gym lifting a lot more. So everything's just a lot more professional we're still obviously learning on the job with that you know there's yeah. lots of strides to keep taking but i think overall it's just massive 
and you actually view this as a responsibility as much as anything yeah. else that you've got to get it right for the for the basically for the good of, good of the game not just for the good of Newcastle yeah because I think one of the things I said to Dan when we were putting the case together is we want to be the leading light in tier three because we're the first team to go full-time in this league um, and what that means is you know if we win the league other teams and other clubs chairmen of clubs will say actually the best way to get the women's team out is to fully professionalize them if we don't achieve that then teams and clubs will go well actually they did it on a part-time hybrid model and still got the, the best outcome so we've got a kind of a responsibility with that definitely but I think as well with that it's you know a hybrid model the reality of what that is like is very very time consuming on people's yeah, lives yeah. Like, it, sound, it sounds quite it, it sounds, sounds quite nice, nice doesn't, doesn't it, it? Yeah. but it's it's a full-time job yeah. it's training alongside that and being yeah. a full-time 24-hour athlete alongside yeah. Yeah. not actually getting much financial yeah. support from the club um obviously for some players who've got amazing careers it might be good to combine the two finances and opportunities together but realistically you can't be the best athlete if you've got a full-time job alongside it can i take you back to last sunday night yeah um how were you after that very rare feeling of uh, a <laughs> um, Yeah, I think I've matured a lot in terms of my feelings after the match. Obviously, it goes without saying, there's anger, there's disappointment, there's, there's various blows you have with people after the game, whether that's staff players, just because of the, the initial disappointment. But I think having that rationale, you know, three years ago, I would have, I wouldn't have seen any other perspective other than the, the disappointment of the defeat. Whereas for us, it's you know you learn so much from losing you can you have to reflect more and you look to put things right and it was probably the the straw that brought the camels back in that sense so lots of things have improved since that week which is really important and hopefully will be the catalyst for the rest of the season fabulous stuff fabulous stuff uh we're going to hear a lot more about the lasses on thursday's show uh and tickets are available for their game at st james's park this weekend that should be a Another fantastic occasion, George. I was at the last one against Bradford at St James Park, and it was a great day out. Yeah, it's 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 brilliant. This is this is a cup game. It's against Portsmouth, so they still have uh, still have the chance to to win a trophy um, this season, which would be very exciting. And yeah, there's there's a real sort of desire at the club to to get a big another big crowd at St James's to get them through the hundred thousand barrier in terms of people who've watched them at the stadium and I would do my bit to try and urge as many people as possible to come Absolutely. I love it I do love it Kingston Park is a brilliant place to watch them we get the uh, get the war flags displays that'll be the same at St James's uh, the weekend and yeah keep please keep an, an eye out and then an ear out for the pod on on Thursday for lots lots more from the women's team yeah if you haven't been to a to a, a women's game yet get yourselves along there is no excuse there at St James's Park this weekend it's going to be brilliant uh, right that's it thanks very much George it's been fun you are so very welcome we'll be back later on this week get in touch at pod on the time on Twitter or X and email us at pod on the time at theathletic.com that's it Thank you very much for listening. We hope Chris as well, wherever he is off to. Uh, and we shall speak to you very soon uh, from everybody at Pot on the Time. Goodbye. Trowels out just to give these herbaceous yeah, borders. Out, sorry. Oh, trowels. Oh, yeah, trowels. Give, sorry, just, to, just that. to give these herbaceous, down herbaceous border a bit. Of Got a, a few bulbs that need putting in. Looking, just while we're here.
so, it's so neat. It's beautiful. I don't know what else we could do, to be honest. The Athletic.